0: So listen, how's your Christmas shopping going? You haven't started yet, have you? Well, fear not, the big interview is here to help solve all your problems. For the football fans in your life, here's three stocking fillers. Firstly, the documentary film of my book, Barca, The Making of the Greatest Team in the World, is now available everywhere on DVD and digital download. Take the Ball, past the Ball is the definitive story we like to say of the greatest football team ever assembled and features exclusive interviews with Barca's stellar cast of current and ex-players, including that geezer, Lionel Messi, Xavi, Andres Iniesta, Thierry Henry, Danny Alves, Gerard Piquet, Carlos Puyol and Sergio Busquets, plus a rare exclusive contribution from Pep Guardiola himself. There, that's that one present sorted. Secondly... My old chum and fellow dandy Jonathan Northcroft has a new book out published by Backpage. These marvellous people that bringing you the books, the podcasts. It's called Deadlines and Darts with Delhi, and it's Jonathan's World Cup diary from Russia last summer and it's essential reading for the football fan in your life. Finally, check out another Backpage book, Football 2.0, How the World's Best Play the Modern Game by Grant Wall. Through extensive interviews with one player in every key position on and off the pitch, Grant breaks down the technical and tactical revolutions which have transformed football. So, there you have it. Take the ball past the ball, deadlines and darts with Delhi Football 2.0. That's not only difficult to say, it's Christmas sorted. Courtesy of your friends at the big interview. You're ho ho ho. Welcome. You're about to listen to an interview which our socios enjoyed in full 12 months ago. If you'd like to listen to these exclusive monthly big interviews on the day that they're released, it's time to join us. That means supporting us. It means the price of a pint per month. Go to Patreon, com forward slash Graham Hunter. Go now, join and become a socio. That means you'll get that extra big interview every month. And you'll also unlock our entire archive straight away. All for £2.99 a month. It's the best deal in town, baby. And we need you. It is time for a new big interview. It's Super Kevin Phillips. Sunderland! legend, and the winner of something called the golden shoe. Well, to hell with that, the golden boot. Kevin once outscored every top striker in Europe. I was thrilled to listen to him describe his thought process in front of goal, plus his explanation of the art of finishing, which includes a wonderful quote from the great Jimmy Greaves. Our guest takes us back to his younger days, playing right back, yes, you heard me correctly, at non-league baldock town, in an unforgiving, dangerous environment, I had huge fun recording this podcast. Keep listening and you'll find out why. The big interview is very privileged today because right now, as we speak, it's the middle of the British summer, so it's raining, and I've got my usual beautiful black leather kind of moccasin style shoes on, and there's a hole in them and it's letting in water. But we're sitting talking to the only English golden boot winner, European golden boot, the English equivalent of Gert Muller or Ronaldo. But, Kevin Phillips, your starter for 10, or at least my question to begin today is this. I've read an interview with you where you're up, bald at 10, and Ian Allenson phones you up, phones his right back up, let's say, to let him know that, and it's you, that the shot of a striker. And the quotes that are attributed to you were... Well, yeah, I used to play there and maybe I should. And I, Now, in my life in football, I've met goalies who think they're strikers. Every groundsman thinks he's a striker. But your quotes kind of go like, oh, yeah, I used to play there. Maybe I can, and up front you go. When you get that phone call back at Town, and you've been playing as a right back and he kind of says, we need a striker. Is it true that you hadn't been kind of at him, Ian Allenson, in training all the time saying, boss, boss, I am a striker. Let me play up front, will you? It is true. And, you know, it could easily, someone sitting there
1: listening now will probably think, no, nah, that's been made up. But it, I, I swear to, you know, I'm totally honest. You are seeing himself, that was the conversation we had. The phone rang out the blue Friday night and believe it or not, I stayed in. <laughs> Friday night before a non-league game. So I was disciplined. I was I was dedicated enough because I always felt I would get a second opportunity at turning professional. So, yeah, the phone rang, but I, I kind of got it in my head that I played two years as right-back at Southampton as apprentice. I went there as a striker. The classic, I got told I was too small. The only position that we had for you was a fullback. So it was a chance to play, and I ended up playing there for two years, got released, went into non-league, and I, and I kind of forgot about being a striker, if I was being totally honest. Started playing fullback in men's football, which was very difficult. I had to jump from being a boy to a man. And I had to adapt really quickly. Uh, So you're right, you know, the phone went on a Friday night and the gaffer rings and he says, Kev, you know, a bit of a bizarre, funny question. He says, "Um, have you ever played up front? And I went, well, funny you should say that. I've always been a striker. I said, I haven't really pestered you with it because I've done it for two years as an apprentice. I've done it for a short spell here at Bulldog. So it's kind of, you know, gone to the back of my mind. But I am a striker. He said, well, we're struggling for one tomorrow. And you fancy having a go? I went, of course. And it, it was Burnham away, and we won the game,
0: and I scored two goals, and uh, never looked back. Well, excuse me for being pedantic, but <laughs> like, for example, let's work out what that phone call's like. When he's phoned you up, has he either seen something from you in training you never told him about yourself, oh, no. or are you the eighth phone call? Because if you haven't been knocking on his door and saying, "Boss, yeah. boss, I'm a striker," you've been playing right back in training for Baldock. Why has he fooled you? Because I think
1: probably watching me in games and in training, I was like a wing-back and I didn't want to defend. I were not a great defender and I was always trying to get in the box and, and the amount of times he'd have a go at me about what you're doing up there. So perhaps he saw something in me that this lad wants to try and score goals. Whenever we had little small-sided games in training, I was forever get, trying to get on the ball, get in the box and score goals. So he's obviously seen something. He actually is a friend of the family. So maybe someone within my family got into him saying, look, he can play up front. He is a goal scorer, scored lots of goals as a young kid in the in the Stevenage League where, where Ian grew up. So perhaps he heard, you know, uh, speaking to one of my family members. But I never really once said to him, look, boss, can I play up front?
0: You know the phenomenon I'm talking about, though, For everybody thinks he's a striker. Mm-hmm. I remember like interviewing Sergio Busquets, who's now your, you know, your archetypical... Brain of the midfield. Mm. Right position, right touch, you know, choices all the time. Positionally so clever. <laughs> He's like, I yeah. wish to hell I wasn't this. He said the only thing that's beautiful about football is scoring goals. Yeah. And he used to be a striker. Even Puyol at one stage thought he, when he wasn't allowed to be a goalkeeper anymore because he was banging his head in the concrete ground at the playground anymore <laughs> and the doctor said to him, no more of that. He wanted to be a striker. Yeah, Wherever yeah. you go, everybody thinks they're a striker. And you kept, this is what fascinates me, you kept the total belief about, I'm not finished with the professional game, but you parked away that little thing that you'd always wanted to do. That's a slightly strange combination of choices. Do you know what I mean? Definitely,
1: definitely. And, you know, a big part of it is the two years as an apprentice at Southampton, um, working under Dave Merrington. When he said to me, listen, lad, at the moment, you're too small to be a centre-forward in our team. Yes, technically, you're good. Um, We see you better coming on to the game Mm. than than with your back-to-play which I kind of agreed at the time, so I went along with it. But there was always that bit in the back of my mind. I parked it to the back of my brain, but there was always that bit there that wanted to come out and get up front. And even the two years as an apprentice, I used to try and make overlap, over, overlap, getting in at the back stick when the ball was going down the left-hand side. And as I said, you know, defending, I wasn't very good. But I always had that belief. One day I would get a crack at at being a centre-forward, and believe me, when that phone call came on that Friday night, if it hadn't come... You know, I perhaps maybe would never, you know, wouldn't be sitting here now doing
0: an interview with wouldn't you. You'd be the Who only knows? English winner yeah. of the Golden Boot. Yes. I'm a romantic, a pure born romantic, now, therefore allow me my flights of fancy. Were you answering the phone to somebody you'd cheered on when he was an Arsenal boy, keeping Charlie Nicholas out of the team, yeah. beating Spurs in the semi final yeah. of the league? I yeah, yeah. He was an Arsenal man and you were an Arsenal man, no?
1: Yes, I was. Um, I used to watch Ian from the stands and. It was quite surreal. It was my mum that got me uh, into Baldock Town at the time and when I realised Ian Allison was the manager, I, you know, I would have walked there. It was a good 10, 10, 15 mile away from the home but I would have ran there just to to meet him and secondly try and play for him. So yeah, I, I grew up as a young lad and it was my sister's first boyfriend that used to take me to Highbury. Um, we used to get the, the train from Stevenage to, to Finsbury. The little walk from Finsbury
0: Park to Highbury. Then just stop at Finsbury Park and walk us to Highbury. Because we've done this with Charlie Nick once. Right, yeah. I don't want to spoil your story, but I mean, what a temple. When you turn the corner. So take us through Finsbury Park by foot.
1: Well, don't forget, I was a young boy then, so it was quite daunting and it was quite scary. Yeah. The
0: the crowds, the floor Yeah, I hadn't been
1: used to that. You know, I hadn't been used to it. And it was one of the first times I'd been to a game on a train. It wasn't a long journey from Stevenage to Finsbury Park. It's only a half hour. But the train, as soon as you got to Stevenage, you know, there's tons of Arsenal supporters from Stevenage. You're crammed on the train, the singing's starting. And I'm a young lad and it's, you're trying to take it all in. You're kind of hoping that you don't get caught up in any trouble. But the people I were with were quite sensible and... You know, as soon as you get off that train at Fingery Park, you go down the steps and you come out, there's Arsenal supporters everywhere. It's almost like a little pub crawl to the stadium. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I remember this pub we always used to go in. I, I wasn't drinking, you know, I was, I'd have a Coke or something. And I think it was called the Black Ball or something like that, but it was a big Arsenal pub. and I mean, it, it was crazy in there. It was absolutely crazy. But it it was fantastic memories. And Do
0: you, you know, As you get closer, can you... Uh, all I remember when I used to go to Highbury was you could start to smell people's gardens are rented out and there's you can smell the onions yeah, and cooking, the burgers yeah, and the hot dogs yeah. and the, the, the
1: atmosphere is like a carnival atmosphere yeah um, and, and and it was fantastic you know the singing you could it was closer you got to the ground you hear the singing you heard the noise from inside the stadium and then when you come around that corner and yeah. you see Highbury you know it's just tucked away isn't it in a housing estate but it was it was fantastic and I couldn't wait to get through the turnstiles. And I always remember, you know, the first time I went there, the turnstiles, you can't see the pitch. You go up the steps and all of a sudden it's there and you think... Green has never looked so beautiful, has it? It It seems to glow
0: a little bit, doesn't it?
1: And and then straight away the adrenaline within you goes, I'd love to be out there. I'd absolutely love to be out there. Yeah, my first time, you know, was watching Ian Allison.
0: Um, so that, that was a point, I mean, not minute by minute of games, because they must have gone by now. But oh, yeah, first yeah. Impressions first impressions or that team? What, what yeah, it, was, a, you it was Paul
1: Davis, Rocky or that, that, that sort of era. David O'Leary. George Graham? Uh, George Graham, yeah. So it was, you know, there were some good players. I didn't go every week. You no. know, I'm not saying I'm an avid Arsenal fan and I went week in and week out. But when I could go, I'd go. We'd sit in the clock end. Or uh, we'll standing the clock in
0: then. The players that might have caught your eye, especially, that you liked, either for or against?
1: Uh, now, you, now you're testing me. Probably uh, Paul Davis and um, Rocky Rowcastle were two fantastic players for me at the time. Although, you know, they weren't centre forwards. Did you know, Paul Davis big... have
0: something of Vieira about him? Yeah,
1: yeah. He, he just glided with the ball. Yeah. He always looked comfortable on the ball. He always was in an area or in space to be able to f- receive the football. And when he did receive it with someone on him, he, he managed to wriggle out of it and get out of the situation. You know, Alan Smith playing, you know, as well, who... Really was underestimated a fa- as a, as a yeah, footballer. Yeah, he's, he's a fantastic footballer. Yeah. Um, great at what he did. You know, Big Quinny almost, you know, was on the scene, but a young lad. Yeah. It was... Um, you know, later on, so I, I,
0: I sense you've dug him up about that. Like, I used to watch you <laughs> and I, I, just, I just hear dressing room humour there for sure. Yeah,
1: but it, you know, when, when I started playing for something and played with Quinny, you know, forever asking him questions about his Arsenal days, and he had some fantastic stories, which a lot of them you can't print <laughs> about certain players that he played with. But it was just great to pick his brains about that era that he, you know, I used to go and watch, and he was involved in that, you know, in that era, you know, late on in it. Um, still with the players that I kind of grew up watching, and, and you know it was great, fascinating to hear. what They're he massive
0: characters, oh. apart from the ability you had to play. And I, I said that about Alan Smith, for example, in that era, maybe a little bit after Steve Bold, David Luiz, both of them I think under because it became so established about you know Dixon, and Winterburn, um, Big Tony, and, and Keon. I think both Bold. And O'Leary, we've forgotten about in terms of how good they were, but you had to hold your own in the training ground and dressing room with George. It was a, it was a tough school. I'm I'm sure
1: of it, and I was fortunate enough to play with Big Stevie Bold as well towards the end of his career. Great footballer, even then, you know, he was touching forty when he came to us, and you could still he had quality. Legs weren't as great as what what they were when he was younger, but yeah, he was an intelligent guy. Managed to work under David O'Leary, so be able to pick his brains about the Arsenal days. So although I wasn't involved in it, actually watching it from afar picking up stories off of Niall and Steve. You know, it was a great learning curve about, you're
0: right, having to hold your own amongst those them sort of players. So you did that. I, we, we talked about the phone call from and Allenson, who scored in that season that they won the Winner League Cup. When you're at ball at Town and you've been told that probably, well, certainly the first professional club that you get terms with says to you, no thanks, you, you, you're well known for saying, I knew that an opportunity might come around and... Mm-hmm. You're clearly here because you worked at it and it did. But why did you think that? When did the belief waver?
1: I think I, I always had that belief. You know, if I'm being daft, you know, even now I've been retired four years. There's still a part of me believes that if I really wanted to, I mm-hmm. could, I could come out of retirement mm-hmm. and play again. Now that might be a daft thing to say, um, but I still believe that I can do it. And now I suppose you speak to many footballers that perhaps say I still feel I could do it here, but this won't allow you to mm-hmm. do it. But I've always had it in my brain that, you know, I was never, ever going to give up. I had fantastic support from my parents. My dad wrote to every football club in the country when, when I was released as a an 18-year-old boy. And even then, you know, we got two replies. That's all we got from, from every club in the country.
0: You can't remember who?
1: Uh, one of them was Chelton and one was Millwall, believe it or not. Two, you know, South London clubs. Just saying unfortunately we've got our full quota of players
0: and uh, we'll we'll keep your name on the record. See and people now exist via emails and that process of actually somebody writing yeah. to every club, finding the address, getting out the post office, sending them off. That say goodbye to the letter and it's like sending a son off to war. You may yeah. never hear yeah. or see from that. You don't even know that the letter's got there. Yeah, it's a course. very so we are watching that process. That must oh. do something to a kid who goes, She's look at my my mother's doing for me, no? well, I'll tell you you know what he did as well
1: every day when that post box opened or the letter box opened in the house, mm. I was praying and hoping it was a, a reply from from one of the clubs and I remember you know the first time I did get the reply, the letter drops on the floor and it 's actually got the mill wall and the charlton crest on it, so straight away i 'm thinking i 'm getting, getting a trial i 'm mm. getting a trial. Open it up, you know two knockbacks and a part of me was of course gutted, but I still had that belief to. Go and try and perform for Baldock Town in in that right back slot at the time, and hopefully someone will see something in me and give me an opportunity. So I, I never gave up. And what I said to you earlier about when I answered that phone call on a Friday night, you know, there was many times when my friends were knocking for me, saying, "Listen, your football career's over. You know, you've got to forget it. You have got to let it go. Come out with the lads Friday night. We're having a good time. You're missing out on this." That. And I'm like, "No, I'm not coming out. I've got a game tomorrow, and I still believe I'm going to get an opportunity." So. If I hadn't have been strong enough and if I hadn't have had strong parents as well, I certainly would have been out every Friday, probably played crap on a Saturday mm. and never ever got me And at the time
0: you'd have enjoyed the hell out of it. You wouldn't have known the opportunity really was slipping by and that yeah. everything you believed in really was there. But I know a lot of professional footballers thought like that too. Even as a professional that you could probably be out say two nights before a game and if you were fair, you trained really well you could live yeah, like that and that was you walled yeah. it Down saying no I'm not going to live like that yeah no I, I, I didn't
1: I, I remember doing it a couple of times and, and Ian Allison saw straight through He and noticed. Said, oh god yeah without a shadow of doubt being an ex-pro as well you know you, you could tell you maybe would have got away with it someone that hadn't played the game perhaps didn't know as much but he knew straight away and I took a couple of bollockings off him hmm. you know for, for doing it and it didn't happen very often, but once, you know, he gave me those cups, I never ever did it again. And uh, you know, I could quite easily have done it. I'm an 18, 19 year old kid, you know,
0: that wants to to live his life. But I had to sacrifice a little bit for my future. In this series, um, one of the people that we admired very much indeed and had a joyous morning with was Chris Waddle. Chris had a similar experience where, at a certain stage, he was told it wasn't happening for him. Timing. He was very skinny, and mm. I mean, obviously gifted. Went. I think worked in a meat factory or chicken factory, but played in non-league football. Yeah. Now he was different from you in that he was on the ball attacking all the time in non-league. And therefore what he taught to us a lot about was dealing with intimidation, both the physical side and the mental side, still wanting the ball, maybe even sometimes in Chris's cases humiliating the guy. Even though you were overlapping a right back, you you were facing presumably bigger, older guys you probably were giving you the same evil intention about get out of my way or don't tackle me or whatever. Yeah. What was the good and the bad and the ugly being a right-back at 18, yeah, from just, 18 to 22? Yeah, from, from 18 to 21. Physically at 18,
1: what are you like a bit now? Because you're still, I mean, strong now. Yeah, well, I, I was very slight and, you know, I've bulked up, you know, I had to work on that. So I wasn't physically very strong but I was quick I could get out the way I could ride challenges you know I'd rather try and nick the ball off someone mm. than go crashing in on a 50-50 because mm-hmm. I'd probably get hurt yeah so I had to try and work on the timing of my tackling just be careful who I picked on or went up against and I had to become a little bit more clever they call yeah a bit streetwise yeah a bit streetwise and you know I had to try and adjust my game a little bit
0: First of all, can we clear something up? We're new friends, but... that's a golden shoe. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, in all seriousness, it's a golden boot, isn't it? It's a golden boot. When you get that in your hands, you know, that time, at that stage, you're the first Englishman to do it. You're still uh, preceded by Jardell, subsequently Larson, two pretty good strikers. What degree of Baldock Town is in that moment? What degree of Ian Allenson is in that moment?
1: Oh, everything. I think... uh... You know, everything, my me, me parents, who unfortunately I lost when who, who they were very young, and I was very young, I was only 20 when they both passed away. And there was a point in my career when that happened, I'd just turned professional at Watford under Glenn Roder, And I only ever wanted my dad to see me play yeah. professional football. Yeah. And when he passed away, I thought, well, I've played six months as a pro. That's it, I don't, it hurt me that much, I didn't want to carry on. Man. Um, so Glenn Roder was fantastic in, in helping me deal with the situation. And, and so was Ian Allenson actually. Um, he spoke to me quite often on the phone that's Um,
0: fabulous to know because I don't think it's unfair to say that in football you can find a lot of people who maybe aren't bad but they are quite selfish that when you can say that about Glenn who's somebody who coincidentally helped me a lot when I came down new to England and say again about Ian if you're talking about being that devastated about the loss of parents and maybe giving up a professional career to identify that they knew you well enough and cared enough to invest time in helping you through yeah that's pretty special. Oh, it's, yeah, and you know, Glenn will always have a special place
1: in my heart. And it, ultimately, I owe everything to Glenn Rhoda because he's the one that signed me from non-league to to give me that opportunity for for Watford. And you know, whenever I get chance to speak to him now, it's great to see him. And you know, he's had his troubles as well in mm-hmm. in, in his time with his health. Um, so yeah, you know, but you're right. You know, when I did get presented with that golden boot, when when I had chance to to sit down and really reflect and take on board, you know, you think about. That was cold Tuesday nights, training on a crap pitch at Bulldog Town. You know, Ian Allison trying to help me, give me guidance. Uh, um, Glen Roder, Dad travelling here, there and everywhere, um, taking me all over the country. So all them things do go through your mind, and they all play a massive part in me uh, winning that boot.
0: I remember without being too maudlin, that I'd met Frank Lampard's parents, and his mum, just before she died, she died too young too. And I mm. remember speaking to him in Germany, in Munich, when Chelsea won the... Champions League, and we had a little interview in the dressing room afterwards, and I felt it was okay to ask him, did he feel connected, did he feel that maybe she was looking over it in some way, and he was really clear that yes, mm-hmm. and I think that's that's a good emotion to have. Yeah. Do you ever think about, can he see, does he know, does the energy off your career... It,
1: it did, yeah, early early on, you know, soon, the first few years, you know, and he passed away, yeah, of course, I always thought about it, when you had that. You know, you did your line-up, you came out, and I always looked to the sky. But as as time went on, you know, it, it's a great healer. You don't never forget, but, you know, you kind of forget about it once the emotion and the adrenaline... You know, I always think about it when we have minute silence for someone who's passed away. You know, I'm thinking about that person, yeah, but
0: also, you know, it brings it straight back to you, which it always will do. Yeah, always. Um, I, I like and respect and appreciate that. Um, so when the boot comes to you, what happens? I, I hope it comes in a fleet of Rolls Royces and (laughs) and they sort of cordon off the neighbourhood and, you know, there's beautiful models to bring out. Tell me it didn't arrive, make your own golden boot in the post.
1: I did get invited to a meal in, I think it was Switzerland, but we were playing on the Tuesday night. It was on a Tuesday night and it would have been with all the the players that have won it. And it was, I was gutted I couldn't go because to sit with the people that you just mentioned that have won the European golden boot would have been amazing. Yeah. But we had a game on that night, That's so nice. they brought the shoe, oh, well the, shonks, can call the shoe, you were calling it the shoe, they brought the boot to me and they presented <laughs> it to me in f- before the game at Stadium alight in front of a packed, packed crowd and... I have to say, you know, as much as it is for me the the biggest honour that I've achieved as a player, playing for my country, I thought they could have done something a little bit better.
0: Well, I would say it's typical of the Football Authority. It's your year, so like, we're planning a dinner, let's see if he's playing that. No, 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 we've got the lamb in, we've got the lamb and the red wine in, we can't change it. it. He's usually playing. (laughs) So, yeah, I,
1: I was a bit, you know, considering, you know, I've won it at a club, no disrespect to some of the players that have won it before is... But that's what makes things. it
0: more exciting. Yeah. Not only are they the only Englishmen to do it, you win it at Sunderland. It's yeah. absolutely exceptional. There'll be Sunderland fans who go in discussions like we just had here at the club, like, ah, but do you remember the night when Kim Phillips brought the golden? Yeah. You know, yeah, it wasn't. It's brilliant. It's yeah. not to be talked down because it's Sunderland. I think it's fantastic. Yeah. No, it was. It's
1: fantastic. And believe me, it sits on the mantelpiece now, pride of joy. Um, is it heavy? It is heavy. Yeah, it's very heavy. Um, I, obviously, I won the, the Premier League Golden Boot that season yeah. as well, and they're pretty similar. But the European one is it does seem a little Did bit. Do you ever heavy. put
0: it up against your foot? Could you? If, <laughs> could, is it the right <laughs> size? Because yeah. it should measure you. Yeah. It should be your foot.
1: Yeah, I wish. And real gold, of course. Hold oh, on, I wish. Whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs>
0: it's not.
1: No, it's not real gold.
0: You have te- are you going to tell me? Are you going to tell, tell, tell me something I don't know about Father Christmas as well? Now? <laughs> <laughs> this is really. This is a bad day. At no, Blackrock. it's
1: not. It's not real gold.
0: All right. so you win that. And before I move on, there's another little moment I think that comes. It's not the same as the golden boot season. I think. I think it's the season before, where you you're the first since 1961, 62 at Sunderland to score 30 goals. And 35. You get, and you get 30, so over 30. Right, pardon 30 me, 35. Then, yeah. And Coffee, who yeah. I think too many people probably forget that he was a Sunderland striker before he his was, big yeah, injury, whatever, yeah. well, broke his record. Well, the so what's the occasion like? What happens? And had you met Coffee before? Yeah, that? I did. And... The
1: great man presented me with a shirt before a game at the Stadium of Light, and he came onto the pitch, and it was a a massive honour for me. Everything was coming to me so quick, you know, I was breaking records so quick at Sunderland that I was meeting people left, right and centre that (laughs) I weren't sure, you know, obviously I knew Brian Clough because of who he was, but there was other people I was meeting from Sunderland whose record I'd beaten, and I wasn't too sure who
0: they were. Scoring in a row. Yeah, seven in a
1: row, which I got was a new record at Sunderland, and and this and that. But yeah, meeting the great man, he presented me with a shirt, before a game and unfortunately for poor Brian it was at a time when he was struggling with his health Already, and was he? um, you know it was. It would have been nice to have met him and had a chat with him but I never even got time to chat to him it was just literally shake hands, shirt and all I remember him doing I stood next to him it was before and a game again they always present me stuff before a game yeah. it seemed to be and he kept kicking the back of me, me leg for some reason I thought what's he doing and he just kept nudging the back of me and every time I looked at me, he would just wink at me didn't really say anything to me, just winked at me and I thought, well, that's enough for me.
0: Now we're going the laboratory. This is the bit that you may or may not like, but also it's the time to be truthful because finishing, scoring. I'll ask you because not only did you score a lot of goals and you're famous above and beyond being good player, good technical player, good team player, goals made major, major career. And if you look at the goals, there's an awful lot of spectacular goals. You really did hit... The very few that I've looked at, and I've looked at most of the 250-odd, that weren't pretty or impressive or clever. But one thing stands out for me. You often seem to know about a goalkeeper's where the weight was planted or positioning. Now, I might be imagining that, so it's the time to tell the truth. Did you just hit it as cleanly as you could and hope that the <laughs> keeper was? or Because quite often... You had a Jimmy Greaves kind of like, I'm just well, going to send that one that way.
1: It's funny you say Jimmy Greaves because I always remember one of the quotes my dad told me. Um, and he said to me, always remember this. He said, Jimmy Greaves famously said, you'll score more goals by passing the ball in the back of the net than you will by smashing it. And that has always stuck in my brain. And I, I tell, I try to tell our young players now, I try to tell our first team players that now. And when I do look back at the goals, and I quite often do it, you know, I'm not ashamed to say it, it's not being big-headed, but I enjoy sitting down. I've got two young lads now who quite often sit and watch it and just stick it on. And majority of my goals are side-footed, trying to bend it in the corner, trying to pass it into the net. And you're right, you know, I, I wouldn't say, you know, I spent hours and hours studying the goalkeeper before I played him to see, you know, what, what, what where his weight was most of the time, you know, where his position was. I just had it in my mind... It's me versus you, I'm going for that corner, and if I hit it right and bend it in the corner, you're not going to save it. Um, and, and, that, and that was my focus, that was my thought process when I went onto to the pitch. Of course, there's going to come times where you do want to lash the ball, but not many times I, I kind of lashed it, even from 25 yards out. I remember my second goal in the Premier League it was a 25-yard curler against Watford at the stadium. Where I just dropped my shoulder, got, gave myself half a yard and just bent it in the top corner. There wasn't a lot of power
0: it was just trying to guide it into the net. I could have asked you that same question. and Many people I've met and they just wouldn't have had the clue. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I scored lots of goals, i played lots of games, but what sticks with me is the laughs or the trophy or the bonuses or the money. But I've seen you talking about goals. You've mm-hmm. almost got a photographic memory of them. Every goal, I could tell you every goal. I have to say
1: that you know, there's been many goals when I watch it back and I think the big thing for me, people say, well, what, why was you in that position? Now, that's one thing I might struggle to answer. Because for me, that's instinct. And when I speak to to Robbie Fowler, who I, who I spent some days with in the summer, and I, I I picked his brains about it, Michael Owen, I'm sure when you ask those sort of players, well, why did you get in that position? I don't know, I just found myself there. How comes you're in space? I think maybe because you were probably thinking one yard ahead or one step
0: ahead of of the defender. There's a question then. When you're thinking a yard ahead, now looking back, what are you thinking about? Are you thinking about when's Mickey Gray going to deliver? Or last time I tried to turn that defender, he attacked the ball rather than staying on me. When Because when, that's an expression, mm-hmm. the first yard's in his head. When you were doing that, if you think back, what were the things that you were thinking about in that first yard when you were peeling off a defender, going this way and staying on the side when he thought he was stepping up? All those things... What were the little points in your head that made you do that thing that suddenly looked just instinctive? Well, I think one of
1: the biggest things was, first and foremost, don't stand still. Try and always be on the move. Try and never get in the defender's eyesight or his eye line. Try and stay out of his eyesight. So as soon as I always look at the defender, as soon as he looks at you, I feel I've got him. <laughs> because as soon as he looks at me, the next thing he's got to do is look back, and then that's when I move. So, you know, it's stuff that I worked on, but it's stuff that, you know, I wouldn't work on every day of the week. You'd probably spend an hour or so a week doing. But it was anticipation, really, trying to anticipate where that ball's going to land. So left, Mickey Gray's going down the left, you know, just trying... uh, um, I would say, you know, we coach young strikers now about getting across the near post, getting round the back or getting someone, you know, across the goalkeeper... Yeah, that's great, but talking about that selfishness earlier, I would kind of think if I run across that near post, I'm not really going to get my opportunity here. I'd rather try and wait till that ball's in mid-flight and then I'll move, Judge, instead of going too early. So as soon as it leaves its foot, I, I, I believe I had a bit of a knack about it's going in the middle of the goal, I'll get in between the defenders and, and try and you know, get my opportunity there.
0: I'm a, I'm a big fan of movies. And as you're growing up, there weren't as wide range of movies, but there were lots of westerns. And the archetypical scene in the western is boots, hard ground spurs, an alley or, or a mid street, you know, mm. it's high, high noon, white hat, black hat, and it's always one-on-one on one and who's the fastest. It's twice you've said that, but the, it's me and you to the keeper. Yeah. And it's me and you to the centre-half. Did, did you make it all into little jewels, me and you? Yeah, definitely. It's me against the two centre-halves, I always
1: felt. You know, forget the fullbacks. I was always trying to get the better of the two centre-halves. But don't forget, I played most of my career with another striker. So you'd like to think that the other striker would take care of one in the center half. So you're right, most of the time it was me against you. And if you're the right side of center half, he's the left side of center half. and whoever my strike partner comes across me and I move there, then it's me against you. I've just got to try and get the best of you, and I know I'll get an opportunity. And is only
0: movement, in. or do you niggle away in their heads? Yeah, of course, up? yeah. It was all
1: the old... Uh, to be fair, I wasn't one that saying, oh, I'm going to get the best of you today, I'm going to do this. I would kind of like actions speak louder than words.
0: A little bump. I st- stand on the toes.
1: Well, remember I remember. Yeah, I did that once against Jens Lehmann, and I got fined ten grand. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I learnt my lesson pretty quick. At God, a corner, he must have at a really corner. pretty toes. I That's a big. I was I, I, for once I got told to go on the keeper, which I weren't happy about because I wanted to find space and, and try and get me opportunity. But we're playing Arsenal. It was at the stadium, of Light and Jens was elbowing me, pushing me out of the way. And in the end, I just had enough, and I just stamped on his toes. And the ref saw it and retrospective, I got done. Um, so I learnt my lesson there. But you're right, you know, little just lean into a defender and if you're going to get that off, oh, push off them and try and get them off balance so that you can get in front of them if, if you are too close to one of the defenders. But I never tried to get too close to them yeah. because of the physicality, really. I know I was quite low centre of gravity and I was quite strong. Mm-hmm. But, you know, really, physically, a defender should be you know, winning a duel against myself. So I never really got tried to get too close to him. I tried to always stay
0: away and try him in behind or in front of him. So uh, another thing I do is I love it when England's new bowlers get an amla out all the time, every time he's in his head. Were the defenders where <laughs> you're putting on your boots and you're saying, guys, before a match, and going, yeah, I, I know I've got this guy. Oh, yeah, definitely. Toast. Yeah, definitely. Um, but then flip side of that...
1: You know, so give, give us the yeah, for, give us the guy
0: where oh you beauty it's yeah him again. oh yeah many and times give us the guy who wow how am I going to get one today well it? you know
1: in terms of players that that I always fancied going up against were were players that perhaps weren't so mobile you know ten fifteen years ago players weren't athletically as mobile it was perhaps well it was definitely that's what they are now um, so you know my game was based on being sharp nippy. So I always felt, you know, he's not, he's not the quickest, this guy. So if I can get little balls fed down the side, you know, I can hurt this guy. But then you'd come up against players who were pretty quick, you know, late, let's say late, 10 years ago in Rio Ferdinand mm-hmm. and, and Vidic and people like that, whew, you knew you, you had to come up with something a bit different because you couldn't outrun these guys. So You had to try and be a bit more clever than them. Um, but, you know, I found late, you know, as my career went on, even these defenders are getting clever now. Physically, they're mobile. They can run. So, you know, it was a, it became more and more difficult. But yeah, you know, you ask any striker when you look at when you're analysing the game. The game's coming up Saturday, and you look at the, who you're playing against. You think, boy, yeah, I fancy my chance today. I'm going to get some opportunities.
0: The psychology of striking is a, playing full stop. But striking has always really interested me. Now, I think you told Tim Rich a while ago that at Sunderland you would watch videos of your your own goals maybe day before a game mm-hmm. or morning of a game or whatever, just to, just for Reassurance, Or how did I... Yeah, definitely. I used, to, I used to quite
1: watch it virtually, especially home games. I would sit and put it on in the morning. And just, just repetition, really, just to see myself hitting the back of the net, good habits, you know, just watching it. And, it, you know, we all love watching that. I don't let any player tell you that they don't like watching themselves on TV. We all love it. There's that ego inside of us that loves watching ourselves score goals. I'll give you an example. We're travelling to Sunderland on Thursday afternoon it's Thursday just gone, Sky's on the bus and the rerun of the playoff final, Palace versus Sing and, and I had control of the Sky button <laughs> and because I scored the winning goal I thought no one's turning this over so I hid the Sky control because I knew that my goal was coming out and we all love watching ourselves yeah. so I used to stick it on and just it just used to do something inside me and it gave me a buzz as soon as I turned up at that stadium you know I can remember, it's it, it's fresh in my brain
0: and I'm ready to go it's, it's like when they talk about golf or muscle memory where if you do the right thing over and over again you'll begin to do it automatically that yeah. sort of idea yeah definitely who, who suggested it to you or did you just invent
1: it I just think I invented it I was I was born with it I think but no one's ever really told me about it and, and and there's quite you know amazing as it seems I've never really had much coaching in terms of forward play oh yeah you'd have your shooting practices but yep. never really got pulled to one side and the psychology yeah of the psychology sat down about this and that showing videos of, of strikers this and that never really been pulled to one side to say look yeah they, they would show us the runs you know if one comes short you've got to run in along the line and in pulling off and going in which are all your basic stuff as a centre forward um, but no one ever really sat down and tried psychologically
0: mm-hmm.
1: Pick my brains about you know what, what, what you're thinking what's your thought process but obviously nowadays it, it's happening quite regularly, can which I, I think is
0: right. Can I throw in something that I really liked, and I hope you like the word, but there was a cheekiness too. I th- you've talked an awful lot about scoring the winner at Newcastle and the occasion and whatever, but if people don't remember it, it's 1-0 them, pouring rain, Hulett's... 1-0, yeah, oh, all, yeah all. Shearer Queen. started on the bench. Yeah, when you see that team sheet, what do you think? Oh, straight away we have
1: got an unbelievable opportunity. Big Dunk was on there. Yeah. The on bench the bench as well, as well yeah. Someone
0: yeah. had gone a long time without winning there, right? We hadn't won there for a long time. And you knew there's internal warfare at the club because it's all over the papers. Oh, a-
1: Hullet and Shearer aren't getting on. Yeah. Well, we found out on the bus on the way to the stadium. And as soon as that news filtered through to the bus, you could sense the difference in atmosphere on the team yeah. bus. And I believe we won the game then. And so we turned out there was a funny atmosphere within the stadium because them two had been dropped. Hullet. Supposedly, if he lost the game, was getting the sack the next mm-hmm. day. So it was my first derby, my first taste of it, and it was amazing. The atmosphere once we got in the stadium, you know, and it got near kickoff, was electric. The weather was horrendous. If it, it had gone on for another ten minutes, min- yeah, weather. if it had gone on for another ten minutes, it would have called it off. Um, so yeah, when I managed to get that goal, and you could call it a cheeky goal. Well,
0: like, <laughs> I, I, for those who don't remember, the ball, you know, you come in, you get a little shot. I think Tom Wright blocks it, but at that stage. The six-yard box is quite busy. Tommy Wright's closing down your angle. You don't have a lot of angle. You're running away from goal. Yeah. If you do the old question of sport thing, what, what happened next? <laughs> <laughs> you don't see goal, and you especially don't see no. this beautiful flighted sort of Shane Warne lob over. So all I'm talking about is the cheekiness to say that's what to do, and I can put. So take me from the point you're running away from the goal. Yeah. Well, well it
1: was. I remember there was a massive challenge in the far right-hand corner, and I think it was on Shearer at the time. So he'd come on. Kevin Ball, I think, crunched Alan Shearer far right and the ball dropped to Gavin McCann. And because you know your players, I knew Gavin would have one look up and try to feed the ball in behind the back four. So my first thought was, I'm going to move. I'm going to try and run in behind. He put a lovely ball in behind. And as soon as he left his foot, I thought, I'm in it. I'm going to get an opportunity. But as it come to me and I wanted to win it first time, it hit a puddle and virtually stopped still. <laughs> okay. So it stopped in front of me a little bit under my feet and time I had to look up, Tommy Wright, He's to be fair it. to him, he was on me. And yeah. he, was, he was quite a big guy, you He's, know. So yeah. I tried to dink it over him and it hit him in the midriff. And ricocheted off to the left-hand side of their goal, corner of six-yard box. So I carried on my run round and I run round the ball. And my thought process was, right, what do I do now? Yeah, um, Part of me's disappointed I've missed a golden opportunity. Yeah. So then I, I had to quickly you know, digest that, get rid of that thought. Right, what am I going to do now? So i have got a, your back to go.
0: You can't see yep. what's happening
1: behind you. So I'm running, but I've had a little look straight while I'm running to ah. think, right, what do I do? All I saw, I think, was about three or four Newcastle players and I saw Big Nile trying to make to the back stick. And I just thought, now this is where my little bit of selfishness came in, uh, a bit of cheekiness. One of the biggest things at Matt's stage then was my confidence was massive. If I'd have gone into that game, not had scored the amount of goals I would have, I probably wouldn't have attempted the chip. But I just thought, I'm going for a goal. And I must admit, I ate the sweetest chip that I've ever hit it in was my whole career. And it just, lo- as soon as it left my foot, I just knew it was going in. And it went over the back. I think it was Warren Barton who tried to jump back onto the line and head it. And it went in and, and the stadium went silent. Because, you know, St James is the support. in the gods. Yep. And you could hardly yep. hear. And my wife was at the game. hear it but i turned and i skidded on my knees and i just remember skidding on my knees i thought if i don't get or roll over something i'm gonna go straight into the advertising balls here because it was (laughs) that wet and before i knew it all the lads were on me and it was it was an amazing feeling one to have scored in the derby two to the selfishness to continue my goal scoring run in the premier league proving people wrong and turned out to be the winner which was although i think i'd scored nearly 60 or 70 goals for Sunderland already, mm-hmm. still didn't feel that I was part of their folklore until you score in a derby. And I felt from that moment, that was it, then I really cracked it in the North East.
0: We've touched on that a couple of times then, there is a huge amount of confidence and mentality, no matter how good a striker you are, that you have to feel, I'm in the zone, this is my day, I can pull this off, otherwise, no matter how good you are, your technique is, something might be missing. Is, is that Have mm. we hit on that as a fact?
1: Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Yeah, that's a huge fact. We all went into that game with a mentality of, we're going to win this game tonight. No matter what happens, no matter about the weather, yes, we had a little bit of luck with Shearer being on a bench, Duncan Ferguson, the pressure on the hula. But we, we were on a roll, and fortunate enough for us, we went on to finish seventh that season.
0: Can I test my memory? I, I, I may be making this up, but um, under Peter Reid, he had an assistant. Saxton? Yeah, Bobby Saxton. Bobby Saxton. Equal character. Oh, comes from a different part of the country than Peter, but um, Peter would very much be the front message and Bobby might be a little bit more on the tactical side, maybe? Yes, yeah, you're dead right. right. Both kind of like very calm, very few swear words. (laughs) 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 we Are talking about the same people here? I could be wrong in that case. Okay, let me just revert that. (laughs) You wouldn't want to take a bad performance into either of them, right? Oh, no, no. When you, as a team, your debut in the Premier League haven't been promoted with such style and winning the title... In a championship, getting a medal for it, a nice achievement. If you're talking about Sunderland legends, you go to Chelsea and you get handed a right sore yeah. one. Did you have a, some sort of team debriefing out in the pitch afterwards, or some sort of team meeting with Bobby? We with did. Yes, yeah. yeah, straight after. I, kept, I, I wondered if I'd invented that. We kept
1: everyone out. We didn't even go in. Took us out on. Well, we stayed. Stamford Bridge. Yeah, Stanford Bridge. We stayed. We stayed out, and we had the team meeting there. And it was. It wasn't really a dressing down. It was more of a. Welcome to the Premier League. This is the standard that you're going to be up against. Not every week, because not everyone's as good as Chelsea, but don't let it derail what you did last season. Don't let it derail your momentum that brought you into this campaign, this league, this season. Yes, you've you've been given a lesson today, but you've got to learn from this lesson, and we've got to learn quick, because we've got a game Tuesday night against Watford. And when Peter Reid and Bobby Saxon talk to you, they've been there, they've seen it, they've done it. So you kind of go... They know what they're talking but about. It's on the pitch,
0: Kevin. It is, but it was. Th- does that in the instant when they say stay out? Because footballers are, are people of curiosity. They don't often yeah. like odd things. Yeah. Most but don't,
1: footballers don't forget. We were in an era then when you did your cool down after a game, right? So you know you've seen it. Over not many teams do it now. You stay out because science has been done. It's either it's good for you, it's not good for you. It's good for you, it's not good mm. for you. Um, but at that time we used to do cool downs because we yep. had a game. We never came in on a Sunday. So we'd have a game Tuesday. So we'd have a little jog after the game. So it really, it wasn't like Gideon now. You're all, it was more of we all congregate together for the fitness coach to say, right, this is what we're going to do. We'll have a jog round. But Bobby, I thought it was good management because they've come over. Instead of waiting until we got into the dressing room, they've got it off their chest straight away. It's done, it's dusted. This is what we need to do to win on Tuesday night. As soon as we get back on that team bus, we're focused on Watford. So... He could have let us dwell on it, running around, everyone having a moan at each other, and then getting in the dressing room. Hmm. But he dealt with it there and then. It wasn't like the crowd are going, oh, they're getting told off, they're getting Yeah. Um, so it, it, it was, um, as I say, you know, Pete and, and
0: Bobby got so much experience between them, we respected it. I kind of ask, you, you've painted a different picture, but I kind of ask because I think what I've learned is that in football, either in football or in journalism or fans, we're, we're very hypocritical. Yeah. Because A... It's good. That's really good. And then you do A again in a different situation. Yeah. Suddenly it's bad. Yeah, yeah. That's so stupid. So, for example, I don't want to hone in on this, but Phil Brown does that at half at Hull oh, say so that, yeah. famously. Yeah, yeah. And I've never spoken to a Hull player from that day, so I don't know if they thought it was stupid or embarrassing. Or whatever. But automatically it was painted as being eccentric and idiosyncratic and stupid and bad. And it's not identical to what happened at Chelsea. But all the same, it was just painted as... Well, that's, that's evidence that he's lost the plot or something no, like that. When no. human psychology is different from that, you, yeah. you found that a positive at Chelsea, despite these are all very sore from the 4-0. And maybe a wee bit of worried too, I don't know.
1: Ah, oh, Worried, yeah. Oh, I, I, as on a personal note, I was, because I don't think I touched the ball that day. It's that bad? So straight away, I'm thinking, Phew, God, this is going to be tough. And I already had the critics out there. And Rodney Marsh famously said that I wouldn't get more than five goals in the Premier League that season. So straight away you kind of although I, I, I had confidence in myself you know there's the doubters out there about one individual players being one myself the team that we wouldn't you know get so many points so yeah you go to you get crushed four 0 it's of course there's going to be a bit of worry about it but I felt the way Peter and Bobby dealt with it on the pitch at a time when we perhaps needed it and uh, it, for me it worked because we won on the Tuesday night and then we went on a hell of a run after that.
0: When, when you get them back again, halfway yeah. through the season, and you give them four... Yeah,
1: we give them... For me, that was the best game of football I've ever played. Seriously? Ever. Yeah, it was, just, it was just incredible. And, you know, you, you go on about us being a bit embarrassed. What well, I say, we got embarrassed. We were hurt. We spoke about it before the game, about the first day of the season. We owe this lot one. And, you know, at the time, we, we were full of confidence. We were playing well. We, we were doing fine in the league. And that day was just one of those days, and you would have been to a football match where one team, everything they do, everything they touch just comes off. And we find ourselves 4-0 up at half-time. It was was, was incredible. You were on them, you you pressed them. Pressed them, didn't give them a minutes piece. And you could actually see, once we started pressing them, we got at them from the the first whistle. Who we talked about? Desai, yeah, Le World Cup winners. uh, Yeah, Poye Zola. Um, Dennis Wise you know they, they were all in a there a ferocious team as well a talented yeah, team. but we just once you could see in their eyes as well perhaps what they saw a little bit well they saw a lot in our eyes on the first day a little bit of fear you could see and you could just say hold on a minute these ain't up for it today so it was, a, it was an incredible performance
0: Thank you for joining us for season 2018-19 we've got huge creative plans for the months ahead but we do need your help to make them happen. Please go right now to patreon.com forward slash Graham Hunter and become a socio, become a paying member and get an extra big interview every month plus loads of bonus content. Last season, socios listened to nine exclusive big interviews including Rafa van der Vaart, Troy Deeney, Roberto Di Matteo and loads of me talking about football. The Premier League, the Champions League, Spanish football. I'm sure they enjoyed it and you will too